Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Week one is in the books, and I am pumped to be joined by David Gattieri to break it all down. This was a wild week, man. What, what do you have to say about it right off the top? Oh, my God, not just on football. It's always the wildest week of the season for me is week one because I'm also on a mud football team, which is exactly what it sounds like. So we play football, but instead of playing on a real field, we play on a mud field, like a two-foot deep mud field. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, we have two tournaments every year. So we have one in Maine, which is in August in or maybe the end of July. And then we always have one in North Conway, New Hampshire which always coincides with the first week of the regular season. So I go up there Thursday. Uh, we watch Thursday night football, have a few drinks, whatever. So we're up late that night. Friday morning, we have our first games always like an early game, like eight, nine in the morning. That's so then, awesome. we, then we have a first mud football game. Then we have, we just drink all day, pretty much just crazy partying. They have a, a $1 beer tent at this thing. So uh, they're certainly not standing in the, in the way of the party sponsored by Miller Lite. So shout out Miller Lite. Thank you guys for the beer tent there. Yeah. And, and Miller Lite, if you feel like sponsoring this podcast, uh, I would take <laughs> your money just to, just to throw that out there. Uh, we had similar, I went to university of Michigan. We had a similar thing uh, called mud bowl uh, where uh, on homecoming weekend, the fraternities would just have a giant mud bowl uh, football tournament and you can imagine uh that got pretty violent um there were uh, a lot of there were basically ambulances on call uh but it was it was a good time i did not participate because i am five six so uh (laughs) without further ado uh let's get into the show we got a lot to cover um i did release a podcast episode yesterday where i kind of i've talked about a player for each team a buy or sell so i've talked about some of these guys already but there's just so much data out there week one so many things that we came to the season thinking that we knew that immediately changed. And it's a time where a lot of people are overreacting, but you have to be careful not to underreact as well, because there are real actionable, particularly usage trends that are coming out in week one. So let's start off with a positive note. What is the preseason call you made that you're feeling the best about after week one? My best call that I I feel the best about is unequivocally planting my flag on Brandon Ayuk as yep. your mid-round wide receiver three to draft in, in 2023. And he was just a guy who the talent seemed clear. Uh, we have just when we look at all of the data points, first round pick, very good athlete, four, five, 40, 40 inch vertical. So we, I would say great athlete. Uh, then we talk about rookie production. I mean, there's obviously some flags uh, in his rookie profile as a guy who was a late declare uh, Juco transfer from a small school. But first round pick and then the rookie production, it, it trumps all because as a rookie, he put up 15, over 15 points per game. There are only eight wide receivers who've done that since uh, basically the past decade, since 2010. Every single one of them has at least one top 12 finish except for Brandon Ayuk. So he's like, all right, when's it going to happen? And then we look at all these other like the film data points, right? Reception, perception, uh, Graded Brandon Ayuk as one of the top route runners in the league. You look at his profile before the year, had him at 91st percentile versus man, 89th percentile versus press. 91st percentile versus man. That's a better number than Garrett Wilson, Devontae Smith, and Jamar Chase chart charted as in reception perception. So we look at just in terms of the athleticism, in terms of the rookie production in terms of film grade and then the price point he was priced as a wide receiver 29 like 
it was almost all upside at that point. Uh, and it looks like this is going to be a year where he really has that true breakout. I think it's become clear, uh, abundantly clear that he is their number one receiving option in this passing offense. Passing offense is going to funnel through Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel is going to take a backseat. George Kittle is going to take a backseat. Christian McCaffrey is going to take a backseat. This is Brandon Ayuk's passing offense. And it's one of the best, highest scoring offenses in the league. Um, so if he can continue to demand the targets, the touchdowns are going to be there as well. Uh, and I think he could ease, this could be the year he finishes top 12. Yeah, I, I got to say, you were spot on there. I remember before the season, you were making some comparisons in terms of the dynasty value for Ayuk that I thought were out of left field. But after week one, there's nothing you can say about it because it, I'm not sure they're going to be so consolidated every week. This past week, I believe 24 of 26 targets went to the big four wide receivers. But again, that's only 26 targets. They're going to be games that the 49ers have to throw more that they're not blowing out. Uh, like they were against the Steelers. And Ike was excellent again, 29% targets per route run. If he can get above that 25% range, he's proven to be a good enough receiver that you're right. He can be, you know, a low end wide receiver one. I, I think that's definitely within his range of outcomes at this point. I'm, I'm putting the brakes on a tiny bit there just because we have seen Debo Samuel be a focal point at times. Christian McCaffrey is going to have bigger receiving games than he just had. George Kittle was nursing an injury, but, Again, when is he not nursing injury? But overall, a great start for Ayuk, and I don't have any strong opposition. I, I still won't put him in my top 12 dynasty wide receivers or anything like that, but got to be top 20 at this point, uh, basically at a minimum. And, and it's good news that Brock Party also looks pretty good. That was one of my takeaways from this week as well. Um, let's go a little bit negative here. What's your call you made preseason that you're already feeling nervous about? There'll be, there's two of them. There's, cause I feel like I got almost all of my calls right this year. I feel like I'm in a really oh, good yeah, place. Oh yeah, no big deal or anything. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a really good place after week one, but one of the ones where I was planting my flag was a pretty big call and I'm not feeling so good about that. I would say the lesser one would be the DeAndre Swift one, but the price was not completely prohibitive. So if I swing and miss on DeAndre Swift, you know, it is what it is. The Justin Fields uh, flag plan has really got me concerned. Yeah. Because uh, I did view him as uh, a, a guy who is a, a quality college passer. And I do believe that he had a good passing profile coming into the league. Um, I believed that um, DJ Moore was going to help this offense. I didn't think they were going to become an, uh, one of the best passing offenses in the league overnight. But I did believe that their improvements would be made, that um, Justin Fields would continue to evolve as a passer and that perhaps they could bring out some of that capable passing quarterback that he, he, he might be. Um, but week one, man, there's just so many red flags and just even beyond Justin Fields himself. Yeah. Uh, and I was just on Jax's Jax Falcone's podcast talking about this as well. All of the issues you, you just go on to Twitter and you'll see it um, with the play calling. Uh, the lack of designed runs and motion and uh, getting Justin Fields out of the pocket. I think they had one designed run for Cole Justin Fields. and Chase Claypool just not even trying. It, it was a mess in Chicago. The, the QB school uh, on Twitter as well, he, he put out yeah. a lot of videos uh, breaking down the play calls where we have two receivers running the same route in the same part of the field. Uh, some of that might have just been Chase Claypool not knowing the plays. Yeah. Uh, 
but also there's other plays where he he doesn't even know what Chicago's running. You, you don't see that often from a film guy who says, I don't even know what this concept is. I have no idea what they're even trying to attempt here. Uh, you look at some of the comments from the head coach. Uh, they asked him about taking DJ Moore out of the game. He basically flip-flopped. Uh, maybe it was rotation. Maybe he was tired. What is it, pal? That's not an encouraging response from a head coach no. who's supposed to be leading a, an organization and the high, one of the most highest competitive you know, fields in, in the world. So, I mean, it, 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 even if he is a capable passer, it just looks like he's going to be sabotaged and set up for failure on so many different levels where – uh, yeah, I'm, I'm already starting to kind of look for ways out, unfortunately. Yeah, so the, that was the next logical point I wanted to go to. Um, and we plan to talk about fields later in the pod, but let's just get into it now. Uh, I posted a poll up yesterday to attack of I lower versus Justin Fields. Actually, I first posted it to a plus a first or Justin Fields because I thought that would get me a close result. It was about yeah. 95 to 5 after yeah. 5 minutes. So I took that one down. Then I posted <laughs> Fields versus Tua. And Tua got 63% of the vote. Are you looking to pivot like that? I, uh, Anthony Richardson right now is ranked above Justin Fields as well. Who are you looking to pivot to? Like, just how nervous are you? Because I actually have him as a buy low after this week. I was similarly concerned. I think a lot of it was I came into this season really concerned about Justin Fields. So we were kind of a little bit polar opposite. I understood why he was a first-round startup pick because I love the upside, but I wasn't convinced he was a good quarterback. Nothing on Sunday convinced me, but now it seems like the market has just overcorrected. So how do you see Fields versus Tua and Richardson and Watson and maybe Dak? Like, how do you see him there? Yeah, I think the window's closed on Richardson. I think it's pretty much consensus. You're going to have to pay a plus on top of Fields to get into Richardson, which is yeah. – if I'm paying a plus, I want to go higher than another QB who's still – you know carries risk himself yeah, if you're gonna play that, one game go get low go get yeah, Lamar. Pay up. Get, if you're gonna yeah. pay up pay up um so when we start talking about pivot downs like Tua, if you made that move would i hate you for it no absolutely not i mean we talk about the market though like you said maybe a bit of an overreaction the market's finicky if justin fields comes out and has a huge rushing day i mean we saw this last year he was terrible the first few weeks last year and then he had a couple of big games all of a sudden markets through the roof Market's yeah. super high because you score 40 plus fantasy points in a game. You know, your team scores more points a game. The tide shifts a little bit. But that being said, people are starting to get fed up. And I think maybe not too. You look at a Kyler Murray, you, you still might be able to get a plus there. And, and you got to start considering straight up like it, it, how much value do you have on your team? How much risk can you afford to hold if Justin Fields does go belly up? which I do think even if he did go belly up in Chicago, there's going to be another team next year who needs a quarterback who's going to give him a chance who we look around the league if Baker Mayfield, Sam out. Look at how many terrible quarterbacks are starting. I, I do yeah. believe he's not going to just get cast aside with the playmaking ability he's shown, especially as a rusher. Somebody's going to try and, and fix that, especially if they can be a capable coaching staff. Um, but, yeah, Kyler Murray right now, you can still probably pivot there straight up you could probably get that done very easily. Oh, yeah, you definitely off. could. I'm actually buying Justin Fields for two attack if I lowest straight up. Um, I'm still on the field side. Scared money don't make money. Two attack of Iloa is scared money. He has only been above 20 points 
uh, in a single game, 20 fantasy points in a single game, seven times in his career. Justin Fields did that in six of his last nine games last season. It's just a different level, and whether or not he hits it is a question, and I love Tua a lot. I projected Tua for 4,900 yards and 30 touchdowns in my projections coming into the season. He still was under 20 points a game in my projection because he just doesn't run the ball. So with Tua Tagovailoa, you either are hoping he becomes Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and happens to be in an offense that throws 50 times a game and he happens to have absurd touchdown rates, or you're not getting a top five upside. So I'm going to stick with Justin Fields there. You might be able to get a plus on top. Coming into this past week, I have four shares of Justin Fields and 26 of Tua Tagovailoa. If it's 30 to nothing Fields after this week, I'm okay with it. More likely, you're right. It'll be balanced out. But yeah, uh, I'm definitely shifting into Fields a little bit here. Um, Quick question here. What is the best trade that you've made in the last week? Uh, to me, this is not the best trade by being some sort of massive win, some sort of uh, anything like where I outsmart. It's it was really about the negotiation, and to yeah. me, it was trading Garrett Wilson for AJ Brown. And these, I, I got it done straight up in two leagues. In both leagues, the people were trying to leverage me for the contending piece, which they absolutely should be doing. You yeah. should be leveraging contenders when you're selling them contending pieces right if you're selling aj brown for garrett wilson you should be saying hey i want garrett wilson plus his quarterback is freaking terrible he's not gonna score a lot of points this year don't you want to win just give me a 24 24-2 wilson and a two but when you're on the other side which is the side i was on in, in in this situation with the competing teams and on my rebuilding teams i'll probably go that the selling aj brown for garrett wilson plus route i push back because i know you're rebuilding when you're selling me AJ Brown for Garrett Wilson, especially when you're offering it to me. And I push back with simple message. Look, this is mutually beneficial straight up because one, you're getting a younger player and two, you're getting points off your roster this year uh, with the uh, stars around this year. <laughs> like, yeah, because, because I know, I know you want Caleb Williams and I know, especially you're making this move week one what your motive is and i'm not gonna let you leverage me when i have a leverage on you especially caleb williams there has not been a dynasty asset coming into the nfl with this level of hype in my entire dynasty career more than trevor lawrence i have not seen anyone valued this highly as, as caleb williams is valued so every single person who's going into a tank and trying to make a rebuilding type move is going after that you need to be pushing back anytime they're giving you contenders. Well, I'm giving you less points as if it's helping them. I'm helping you by taking points off of your roster, my friend. So that's really a huge leverage point to be using this year. Uh, and it felt good to be able to get that done straight up. Yeah, I, I, I like that. That's a that's a good trade to make. I, I have AJ Brown slightly below Garrett Wilson, but same tier. So I got no issues with that at all. If you're looking to contend, uh, this was going to be the last thing I wanted to talk about, but you brought it up. So let's get into this now. How far are you willing to go for Caleb Williams? And I, I want to give some context here. First of all, I, I've watched Caleb Williams because I watch college football, but I have not done a full scout on him or anything like that. Um but we all know what his value is going to be. I had a league pop off on Tuesday. We had 34 trades in this league on Tuesday. And it all started because 
Uh, I owned someone else's 24 first round pick. They wanted it back from me. They were, uh, you know, average team, very old, decided they want to tank. And I extorted the hell out of him for an absurd package. It started a tank off between three teams, a contender loading up arms race. It was absolutely insane. Like we're seeing Daniel Jones moved for a second. We're seeing Joe Burrow move for two firsts. We're seeing ridiculous things on these tankers trying to get off points. How far are you going for Caleb Williams? And my specific question would be, are you willing to take a value loss? Let's say moving, uh, if you have a guy who you can't get anything real for, like Joe Mixon, right? Who maybe your league's not given a lot. Are you willing to move him for a random second, which might be less than his value? Are you willing to move Tyler Boyd for a fourth just to get rid of the points? How far are you willing to go for Caleb Williams? That's generally not how I operate. Uh, when I'm looking at my rebuilding teams, the process is pretty much uniform across the board. Like if I know it's a rebuilding team, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a, a head, head start on that. Yeah. So I've been making moves from the beginning of the offseason uh, to the start of the season, being honest with myself about which one of my teams are going to compete this year and which ones aren't. Um, so that means I've been making fair value trades. I've been making the right trades to get running backs off of my roster to transfer uh, mid-tier assets into future picks. Um, to go about it the right way and to go about it organically. If I get to the point now, season started, and now I got to sell guys off at, at a value loss just to try and secure a pick, that's not how I'm going to go about it. It's just not something I'm going to get sucked into. Uh, yeah. I'm going to continue to make fair value trades to get running backs off my team, especially we talked about if you're in a point where you have to sell off everything at a value loss, that means somebody else is trying just as hard as you. To, to get Caleb Williams. So you're absolutely guaranteed nothing. So now you're selling off value assets at a value loss just to not even end up with them after all. So uh, that's yeah. a lot of downside in that situation. That's uh, not how I'm going to be operating. with my if, if there's really two or even three or four teams competing for the bottom for Caleb Williams, it's going to be very challenging to do it because I've seen some teams that have literally are going to put up under 50 best ball points a week like legitimately have maybe two players on their roster who are going to get a 50 plus percent snap share. Like these teams are absolutely terrible and that's fine. If you have 15 future first round picks, that's fine. But otherwise it is difficult to make your team bad enough to keep, compete with some of the dregs of the league. So I wouldn't get sucked into an arms race for the bottom necessarily. Um, that's not to say that you should be holding these veterans either like you, I think getting a head start on it is the way to go. Um, get the Jacoby Myers is off your team. What, what, what I like to do um, is I like to combine these assets to level up. So Jacoby if I'm Myers, a Joe Nico Collins, exactly. give me a first, see you later. It, exactly. Like if you can't get a first for Joe Mixon, which I don't think most people can in a lot of leagues, go trade Joe Mixon and Tyler Boyd and uh, Jacoby Myers and that other person's third round pick, right? Do what it takes, level up to get premium assets, and make sure you're getting full value for these guys. My, my other question for you here is that let's say you fail on the Caleb Williams race to the bottom and you end up with the 102 or the 103. Right now, it's pretty clear that that's Marvin Harrison and Drake May. Just how far is the gap here? Because people have to consider that when they're tanking. If I miss on Caleb, how devastating is it? I mean, we talk about where they're going to be valued. If, yeah. if your consolation prize is only 
Marvin Harrison Jr. and Drake May, those guys are going to be drafted in the first two rounds of startups next year. Those are it's, Caleb Williams might be a you know top five pick, top six pick. But again, you're still getting a highly, highly valuable asset if you're getting a top three pick next year. Yeah, it's it's not bad. I mean, I think Marvin Harrison's going to be a top five wide receiver uh, from the second he's drafted. I think Drake May might fall more into the Bryce Young, CJ Stroud range that we saw this year. Uh, but even that's not bad. However, I would not give up. Uh, what is it? I wouldn't give up Justin Herbert for Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, which means that next year, Caleb Williams is going to be double the value of Drake May. So it is important. If you're thinking about getting to the bottom, the 101 will probably have double the value of the 103. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, anyways, let's get back to week one. Bit of a tangent, but I did want to touch on that as a lot of a lot of teams are realizing that their uh, contenders are actually pretenders and they need to uh, transition a little bit. I want to talk about a few guys who broke out in week one and do you buy the breakout? Let's start off with Zay Flowers. Um Obviously, first game of his career looked awesome. 10 targets, 9 catches, 78 yards. Was used in a lot of different ways. What did you think about Zay Flowers, and are you buying the breakout? He's currently being ranked ahead of guys like Drake London, uh, way ahead of a guy like Quentin Johnson and Jordan Addison. How do you feel about Zay Flowers right now? Yeah, it really comes down to how you define buying the breakout because I don't yeah. think anybody can stand here with straight face and say you say flowers is, is going to bust say flowers isn't going to a he's not going to be at least like a, a solid wide receiver too like he he's a legit player I think that's that's clear there were some definitely some warts in his profile uh just being late declare being undersized when we look at again some people like to throw late declare out the window we have plenty of data when we look at wide receiver one seasons early declares producing them at about a 19% hit rate late declares are producing wide receiver one seasons at about two, 2% hit rate. So the upside has been extremely limited. When we look back to 2000, since 2010, uh, I think it's, we have, um, I want to say it, it's t- over 20 receivers that were drafted in the first round that were late declares. The only one of them who has multiple thousand yard seasons is Mike Williams. That's it of the chargers and we're obviously going to add Devonte smith to that list chris olave is going to join that list so we've had some more uh recent success with the late declares which definitely uh goes into zay flowers favor that being said i mean mark andrews was not on the field uh he's going to command a significant amount of targets i would bet on him out targeting zay flowers for the rest of the year he's definitely a proven guy who's been above tw- a 28% target share last year at the NFL level. Uh, and then Rashad Bateman, he was only on a limited amount of snaps. He was not getting a, a full route participation as well. Um, and he has fantastic profile. All of the numbers support Rashad Bateman. The injuries have obviously hampered him. Even the film, go look at Jetpack uh, Galileo's timeline, talking about um, Rashad Bateman, breaking down some of the film, some of the connections him and Lamar have. So I think Rashad Bateman, uh, when he's at more than 30% route participation, he's going to earn more targets. I think Mark Andrews is going to earn more targets. Um, Zay Flowers is good, but this is a great time to sell him. Yeah, I completely agree. And and the Drake London one is one that I'm highlighting. Drake London just has so much of a better profile, uh, both uh, as a rookie and 
uh, sorry, both as a college prospect and he had a great rookie season. Um, I know that the total numbers weren't there because the Falcons suck uh, in terms of fantasy output. And I know that that translated to week one. I would probably take Zay Flowers over Drake London um, rest of season, uh, which is, it's interesting to say that I would prefer a rookie rest of season, but I would prefer the second year guy in dynasty. What you have to remember is that Zay Flowers, because he played that extra year, is already 23 years old. Drake London is 22 years old, and he doesn't turn 23 until next July. So Drake London is a year younger than Zay Flowers. It doesn't matter that Drake London has been in the league for an extra year. He put up an absurd rookie season at 21 years old. So I would be making that trade 100% of the time. Zay Flowers, six of his 10 targets were behind the line of scrimmage. It is good to get those targets. It is good to have manufactured touches for you, but that doesn't convince me that he is an amazing wide receiver that's going to be a future wide receiver one. I would much rather get the targets that, for instance, Brennan Ayuk was getting, where it's clear that he is getting open down the field. Um, next guy I want to touch on, seems like we're pretty much on the same page there with Zay Flowers. Yeah, can, can we stay there for just half a second? Because yeah, there's an important note to make because we were talking about this on uh, Jax's podcast a lot and for me like you we both talk about it right we, we if we had to make a bet right now on dynasty value who's going to be the better dynasty player Drake London over Zay Flowers right yeah and that would just lead you to believe all right go trade Zay Flowers for Drake London <laughs> but we have to be conscious of the market and a lot of times we want to make player takes right we want to make a take player take on Drake London and we want to juxtapose that against the player take against Zay Flowers. And that's the conversation we're having right now. But the market has more wide receivers in it than just Zay Flowers and Drake London. And we look at where Zay Flowers is valued right now and where Drake London is valued right now. You can, Zay Flowers is ahead. It's clear that he's ahead and you can trade Zay Flowers in a plus for a, a Garrett Wilson, a lesser plus than if he had to trade, for Drake London, you can trade down to another player uh, and get a bigger plus than if you were trading down from Drake London. So if I'm trading Zay, Flow- Zay Flowers for Drake London, I want a plus. I don't want to. Oh, I'm, I'm not giving him to you straight up because I can do more things with Zay Flowers than just decide whether I want to trade him for Drake London or not. I can go trade him for uh, DK Metcalf. I can go trade him for uh, Jackson Smith and Jake. I can go trade him for Tyreek Hill. Like I can go do different things having nothing to do with Drake London. So we have to consider where London's value is and where Flowers' value is beyond just what our player takes are on them in terms of, you know, who's going to be better in the long term and nicely because where they're valued right now, that that matters a lot in terms of getting full value in your trades. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's it's a similar situation, honestly, to the two of Fields discussion right now where just because I prefer Fields straight up, just because I prefer London straight up, I make a point of, almost never making below market trades, particularly with elite assets. The only times I'll make a slightly below market trade is if I think there's a guy who's worth a third round pick who's just about to blow up, then I'm willing to give a third and a fourth for him because who really cares? Um, but with these elite assets, you want to be getting a, you know, a second round pick on top of Drake London for Zay Flowers, maybe a second, third swap. Yeah. You know, Get whatever you can. You never know when that's going to pay off. Uh, down the line so that that, that's definitely good advice um next guy i want to talk about i haven't heard a lot of talk about him uh based on his week one performance and that is mac jones uh he was your qb2 in week one i obviously don't expect that to continue 
Um, he is a passing quarterback without very good offensive weapons. Um, it would be pretty much unheard of for him to be a top eight, top 12 quarterback. However, Mac Jones looked very good in week one. To me, he looked a lot like his rookie year self. And I think there are a lot of outliers from last season that would indicate that Mac Jones is a good player and closer to the rookie QB Mac Jones who set the completion record and looked like a long-term NFL starter, um, if nothing else. So how do you think, how do you handle this Mac Jones week one performance? Are are you buying in that he's a long-term starter or are you kind of just writing it off as one week? I mean, we have two seasons now of Mac Jones as a star. We know for a fact, a couple of things. One, he's not going to run the ball. Yep. And two, he's not going to score fantasy points without wide receivers. This is just how it breaks down. You can talk about his rookie season when he was better. I'm scrolling down the list trying to find him in the points per game. Lisa, what is he? He's outside the top 24. I'm pretty damn certain about that. 14 points per game. It's, yep. it's terrible. He is not a guy. He doesn't run, and they still have terrible receivers. They're not getting good receivers anytime soon. Uh, if you can capitalize and get, he shouldn't be on your roster. You mean you should be trading him any chance you can get. So if you can get him off based off this week, this is time to get him off. I agree with that completely. I, I am buying him as a Patriots fan. And from a real life football perspective, I am selling him from a fantasy perspective because there is just no ceiling there. The floor is that he still is not a long-term starter and if the ceiling is Derek Carr, it's not an investment I'm willing to make. So I am still flipping Mac Jones. If you can add something small to get a first round pick, if you can try to get a quarterback with more upside, like a Sam Howell is a guy I prefer because at least he's going to run the ball. Um, those are considerations I, I would make. Go for after Jones. Justin Fields. Maybe there's a panicky Justin Fields Seriously. manager in your league. Yeah, go go listen. If if you can't get a first round pick from Mac Jones, go add him to a first round pick and get a guy who's worth two, right? Go after go Kyler trade. Murray. Go after yeah. Dak Prescott. These guys who didn't have a great week one or are injured. And there were a lot of guys who didn't have a great week one, which we're gonna get to uh get to in a minute. Um, next breakout I want to talk about is Puka Nakua. Uh obviously, maybe the most surprising breakout. He came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, I know there was some hype in the nerdy dynasty community that we live in, but your even your average, really intense fan probably didn't know who Puka Nakua was. He became the third wide receiver in history to record 10 or more catches and 100 or more yards in the first career game, the other two being Anquan Bolden and Kiki QT, uh, which gives a little sense of what his range of outcomes might be. Um, if you expand the sample to guys who put up seven or more catches and 80 or more receiving yards in their first career game, you add on Demarius Thomas, Julian Edelman, and Eddie Royal to that list, who were three, you know, one excellent and two other pretty damn good receivers. So he is in good company. Is this breakout legit? To an extent, yes and no. I mean, let's when we talk about Puka Nuku, we have to remove ourselves from the player take again and just look at the the bigger picture and look at the base hit rate of a player like this. So yeah. he was a fifth round late declare wide receiver drafted in the fifth round. Well, when we look at the hit rates for these players, and this is pulling from a chart by Peter Howard, these are wide receiver hit weight rates since 2001, this is 20 years, just the sixth round. All right. Uh, 66 wide receivers. If we include or fifth round, excuse me, 66 wide receivers, and that's 
uh, not including 75 in the sixth, 84 in the seventh, and 435 undrafted free agents. But just looking fifth round or later, just fifth round alone, the hit rate for a top a player to produce a single top 24 finish, 4.5% for a fifth round wide receiver. For a top 12 finish, 3%. Top five finish, 1.5%. So that's a sub 5% sub 3% and sub 1% hit rate for top 24, top 12, and top five finish for fifth round or later. It's just really, really not good at all. If Puka Nakua finishes in the top 24 or the top 12 or top five at any point in his career, he's going to be a definitive outlier, definitive outlier. And I will give him credit. It was a good week one. He also did uh, chart well in reception perception by uh, Matt Harmon. He was above 70th percentile uh or not percentile above 78 70% success rate uh it's not the percentile it's just the sex rate success sex rate success <laughs> rate uh Pukeman, he was having lots of sex this week that's for sure but his sex rate was was good for the reception perception profile yeah but the thing is we look at other week one performances from players and this was from a tweet by scott barrett the since 1992, when targets became a stat, leaderboard of rookie wide receivers week one targets. We have Puka at the top with 15. Then we have two Hall of Fame receivers in Anquan Bolden and Des Bryant. And guess who they're sandwiching? Antonio Bryant, who is a round two pick. And it should be noted, Anquan and Des were first round pick, first and second round picks. Yeah. Uh, so the base hit rate, extremely a lot higher. For, for a first round pick, I'll give you the base hit rate. 48% for top 24, 34% for top 12, 20% for top five for a round two pick. It's 32% base hit rate for top 24 wide receiver, 22% of second round wide receivers hit top 12, and 7% hit top five. So we look at the two hits on that list, first and second round guys. Then look at the rest. They're sandwiching week one target leaders, Antonio Bryant, second round pick. Didn't hit 1,000 yards until year four, only 2,000 yard season in his career. Kembrell Topkins, an undrafted free agent receiver who you know is a Patriots fan. Yep, yep. Never hit 1,000 yards. He got released by the team before the end of his second season. Sean McDonald, another Rams wideout, fourth-round pick, finished with 21 targets in eight games as a rookie after getting targeted 15 times in week one. Never hit 1,000-plus yards. Rashad Green, fifth-round pick, finishes rookie year with 35 total targets after 13 targets in week one. And it is career with 30 receptions. So we have four nobodies there who had 13 plus targets in week one of the rookie seasons and amounted to pretty much absolutely and, nothing. And like you said, the two people who did hit and become Hall of Famers were excellent prospects entering the NFL. They were not in the same realm as Puka. There are some interesting aspects of Puka, right? He he averaged over three and a half yards per uh, route run over the last two seasons at BYU. That's nice. I, I liked his tape. I thought he was a very solid pick where the Rams got him and where you could draft him in fantasy drafts. But the whole point of drafting a guy like Puka is to trade him for a second round pick when he hits that value or trade him for an equivalent value. Go get a player who you know is actually good. Go get James Conner to be your RB3 this season. Go buy someone who can actually help you and contribute to your team. Use him to upgrade to a really good player. I've seen some absurd trades for him. I saw Puka and a late first for Devonta Smith. Like, you just got to use Puka Nakua to upgrade at this point, um, even if there's a chance that he is a solid player. Yeah, I think this is 
an important thing because you talk about selling for a second round pick, like, and that's the right process. Selling a guy who was his ADP wasn't even the top four. His average draft position in rookie drafts was undrafted. That was where yeah. he was going on average. And I'll tell you for a fact, I know this because I have like eight Puka Nakua shares, and I don't think I drafted a single one of them. I wasn't <laughs> even high on him. Just add him because he got drafted in the fifth round and was free. That's what you do. You add players who get drafted to the NFL draft and, and are free on waivers after. But the thing is, a twenty twenty four two, yeah. It's the right call. Yeah, it's instant profit. But if he has only, what, four-target game this week, he's still probably find some people who will give you a 2024 too because of that week one, just off the back of that. They'll, they'll say even it wasn't a great week two, he still had a great week one. I'll still pay the two. So it's like I don't see that window evaporating. And then we talk about, all right, what if he has another halfway decent game? Now you can get a 2025 or 2026 one straight up, straight up. And even right now, like, why force the sell for two? I made my first Puka Nakua trade because I was not mass sending Puka Nakua for two. Even though I got all these off uh, shares for free, I could easily just go cash them in for two and just pocket that. I want to try and get more than that. And I did. I traded my first Puka Nakua trade. I, and I'm interested to hear your point of view on this because I know you're a big uh, Devon A-Chain fan. Traded yeah. Puka Nakua. And this was on a competing team as well. I traded Puka Nakua, Devon A-Chain, and Michael Thomas for a 2026 one, which is, I would say, random. Like, it's a good team now, but they're all veterans. They don't yeah, have their own. It's 2026, yeah. They don't have their own 2024 or 2025 first. Their QB2 is Justin Fields. Uh, like, they're trotting out Kelsey. Like, they have, uh, I think, Derek Henry or something. Like, they don't. Oh, no, I have Derek Henry in that league. But they're an old team. So, it's basically a random first for Puka A-Chain and Michael Thomas, yeah. and there was a lot of split reactions. A lot of people hated it, which tells me you can easily get something like that done, even for less. I might not even have to include uh, A-Chain or Michael Thomas. So, uh, But for me, I'm definitely taking that. A lot of people were pushing back. Oh, A-Chain was a late first himself. For one, he wasn't. He was the 201 in ADP. For two, uh, even the 112, if he was, that is not anywhere equivalent in value to a random future first. Like it's hundred percent. It's, it's yeah, and that's something that people miss all the time. I mean, yeah, even, exactly. H chain was looking a first. at this draft. Yeah, even when looking at this draft, I know things have changed. For instance, with Zay Flowers and with like you know Quentin Johnston, who's going at the one hundred eight. Like even that getting a random future first, that means there's a twenty five percent chance it's top three. Like. And those guys are three times the value of a guy like A-Chain or Zay Flowers was preseason. So, yeah, even I, if I mean. Even if it's deal. a playoff team, even if it's, yeah. say, the 107 through 108, through the 109, that was uh, Addison, Quentin, Johnston, and Zay Flowers. Are you trading any of those three players for Puka Nakua, A-Chain, Michael Thomas? I don't freaking think so. Never mind the upside if it lands higher than that. Uh, and especially when we talk about A-Chain, I like him, but. It, you have to adjust for the fact that he was just reportedly a healthy, uh, oh, he had some injuries, but reportedly healthy and inactive in week one. So if you're just holding to your player take on what he was worth then, like you have to understand the market is going to devalue players. So A-Chain is no longer worth the, the 201 that he was worth when he was drafted because simply for the fact he was inactive week one when he was healthy. So I, I see yeah, a lot of people even, making these uh, just assumptions that are completely off base. Yeah, plus even at the time, everyone knew that the 110 through the 
203 was incredibly weak compared to most years. That was just a factor of this draft. It's how it worked out. None of the running backs we wanted to be drafted on day two to good teams went on day two to good teams. And that's why a chain even ended up as high as he did. So um, yeah, I think that's just an absolute smash of a trade. Very I well love done. hearing that because uh, me and Jack's agreed on the same thing. So that's, if you're listening, not to say analysts are always right, but that's three out of three analysts who are like unequivocally yeah. taking the first side. And then you look in the comments of the Twitter, uh, where is it these great uh, or highly followed, not to just diminish people who don't have a following, because that's not what I'm trying to do. But you look at the comments, you know, just hating on this trade and say, oh, you're undervaluing the first and overvaluing these mid-level players. It's almost all casual players. And it just yeah. shows that's, a huge advantage playing in dynasty taking advantage of the casual disregarding of future first in the casual overvaluing of mid assets we're talking about michael thomas who literally had like zero value he's an ankle injury away again from zero value uh a chain is a backup healthy scratch running back and puka nakua is a fifth round pick who has one game on his resume in a in a base hit rate of sub 5% for 20 top 24 finish. So to just take a random, any random, the upside in that first is so unequivocally higher. It it makes me laugh when I get these. And and I I know they're coming when I post it. When you post it, you say, these people are going to hate this trade, half of these people, because they have no idea how to value future first in Dynasty. And the floor of that trade for you is incredibly high because – that first round pick that you got cannot get injured, cannot get suspended. They can't be a healthy scratch. You have that pick locked in as capital that is automatically going to increase in value over the next two years. It's an absolute no brainer. Um, can we keep talking things... about this one? Because yeah, let's do it. This is a good topic because another thing people were pushing back on was the fact that I was a competing team. Right. So let me pull up my team real quick. I'm starting uh, in this league, I'm starting Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Um, I'm starting. Let me pull it up because I don't want to just guess. Um, but I have a very strong team. Basically, what this did was kind of sold off like my bench depth. So uh, instead of having like Michael Thomas in my bench, Devin A. Chain in my bench, Puka Nakua on my bench, I just now have an extra first in my bench. So let me pull it up. It's right and here. And that extra first on your bench is super valuable. The thing about it is you don't have to keep that first forever. Exactly. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm trying to get to. So I'm starting yeah. Lamar Jackson and Anthony Richardson. I have Russell Wilson as my QB3. I'm starting Derrick Henry, Travis Eaton, ETN at running back. I have Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins, Chris Godwin, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans as my other starters at the wide receiver and flex. But now on the bench that I sold those three players for first, I only have McLaurin. Bateman, uh, Rashad White, and uh, Deontay Hardy, KJ Osborne, and uh, Russell Wilson. Ch- Who, who's at your tight end? Out of curiosity, I have Pitts as my starting tight end. Okay, so basically, um, what you have is you have two QB ones, you have two RB ones, you have Jefferson and Higgins, you have two wide receiver ones, and an Amari Cooper and Chris Godwin and McLaurin there, and you have hopefully Pitts works out. I mean, that's. Without a doubt, and, that's a and now I have an extra because I already had an extra 2025 first. Now I also have an extra 2026 first. So I have four first in 2025 and 2026. So guess what I'm going to do with them? I'm going to try and package those when somebody goes rebuild. I'm going to try and sell all four for Jamar Chase if I can add him to this roster yeah. or if I can add another superstar to this roster. Do you think I'm going to be able to add Michael Thomas, Puka Nakua, and Devin A. Chain to, to a couple first in, in net back? Uh, Jamar Chase, like they're just not going to 
have the same appeal in a trade, like especially if this is multiple times. If I sell three other mid guys for a first, I can't turn around and package those same six mid players yeah. in a deal for Jamar Chase. Like the first are going to hold value. They're going to hold uh, liquidity. People are not going to uh, nitpick them for the most part. Uh, if they value first. So it's just, it's a no brainer move to me. And it's just hilarious to me when we go on Twitter and see all these casuals throwing a fit that you sold Puka Nakua and, and A-Chain, the ghost of Michael yeah, Thomas. And, for and we first. already saw, we've already talked about how easy it's going to be to get some of these veteran pieces, these depth pieces off of rebuilders, off of teams they think they're competing and they won't end up competing due to injuries or bad luck or bad analysis of their own team or whatever it may be. It's going to be easy in a few weeks to get Michael Thomas's of the world, to get your Jacoby Myers's of the world. You don't have to worry about that right now because you have a healthy team. Uh, Bye weeks haven't hit yet. By the way, I literally just got a message on my Discord from one of my patrons from Huncho5. I hope he's fine with me sharing his name. Just got Jamar for Higgins and Puka. How relevant <laughs> is that to what we're talking about? Yep. Three guys we just said in the last 60 seconds. Uh, amazing trade there. And obviously, if you can do something like that, you got to do it. Um, all right. Let's let's uh, let's get back to some of the potential breakouts here. Um, next guy I wanted to talk about. Let's actually talk about Tajay Spears. Because he's a player that I was incredibly impressed with his usage in week one. We saw... The players who we thought would have, there were backup running backs who we thought would threaten their starters were Travis Etienne and Tank Bigsby and Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. And that just did not happen at all in week one. Etienne and Walker held the lead role very tightly. They both got over 65% of snaps and touches. They both had very good games week one. What did happen was that Derrick Henry was on the field for fewer snaps than Tajay Spears, uh, which is incredible and surprising to me. Uh, Tajay Spears ran more than double the routes of Derrick Henry, and this wasn't only a game script thing. We saw Tajay Spears play 11 of the first 19 snaps in the game. To me, this is a very clear signal of intent. He is their third down back, but he's more than that. Derrick Henry has not faced this level of competition before, so he's been a sell for me for a while. Definitely still do that, and I'm very, very intrigued in Tajay Spears right now. Yeah, he's someone I'm going to have to take the L on because I was not really drafting him in rookie drafts. I uh, posted about it too. So I'm, I'm going to be the guy who's out on Tajay Spears because not only the, the ACL history, but for me, it was more about I didn't see any path to, to providing value this year other than being a pure handcuff. I've seen Derrick Henry in the past dwarf the, these running backs who supposedly were going to come into the NFL and be, you know, become split work with him. And, Derrick Henry would just end up with another 350 plus touches and their, their RB2 wouldn't matter. But man, you can't deny it. The, to play more snaps than Derrick Henry in the first week, he absolutely has to be on, on redraft rosters because not only is he one of the top handcuffs in the game, because we know if Derrick Henry goes down, one, they're probably going to give Tyshay Spears both rushing volume and receiving volume. So he would yep. be a top, top 12 back if Derrick Henry goes down. But now he's if he's going to be playing 20-plus snaps a game and getting receiver, he could start working his way into some standalone value, uh, being a guy who you might throw in as your RB2, you know, fill a buy or whatever. So, And then we talk about in Dynasty, Derrick Henry's contract's up at the end of the year. And what happens before, he, even if he just has an average rookie year and uh, nothing happens other than Derrick Henry just leaves as a free agent. His value, Spears' value can go way the hell up. We look at Rashad White 
who had a terrible rookie year in terms of rushing efficiency. Uh, Leonard Fournette left. And all of a sudden now you, you could sell Rashad White for like a future first or, or White plus three for a future first. Value went way up. And he really has not done anything to show us like capabilities at the NFL level. So Tajay Spears, whew, I wish I had drafted more of him. I drafted a lot of him in best ball this year because I just loved the contingency upside. I was drafting both Henry and Tajay Spears. I, I loved Henry a lot this year, but it's looking like I was probably too high on Henry and uh, Tajay Spears is going to have a role immediately. Yeah, and after this season, he is almost guaranteed to be worth essentially a first-round pick uh, just because Derrick Henry's contract is going to be up. Even if you don't believe in him, you think they're going to draft someone. There's a window between January and May or January and late April when the draft hits that you'll be able to sell him. So even if you don't believe in Tajay Spears, the talent, which I think you should, you should believe in Tajay Spears, the asset, because that is basically banked in. Uh, next guy I wanted to talk about was a guy I think you threw uh, some shade at earlier in the podcast, a little bit drive-by shade uh, at Nico Collins. Maybe maybe I misunderstood, but uh, I am very impressed with Nico Collins. I got to admit I got some homer in me as a Michigan guy, but I've been high on him for a while, and he did everything that you want to see from a player in week one. Um, he actually didn't run all of the snaps. The Texans were rotating a lot. But Nico Collins had a 31% target rate, and my favorite stat, 61% air yard share. He had 158 air yards. Uh, That air yard share led the NFL in week one. CJ Stroud, in my opinion, is a perfect fit for a guy like Nico Collins. He's a guy who loves throwing to covered receivers because he was used to that at Ohio State because they would catch it anyways. Um, Nico's a guy who needs a quarterback who's going to trust him. It's clear that CJ Stroud does. He's typically the receiver that I would be happy to sell for, you know, a mid-second just because does he really have that upside? But I think there's more to see, and I I think we might be looking at a real year three breakout here. What do you think? I I threw some drive-by shade at him, but only to an extent that I was saying I would be pairing him and Jacoby Myers to sell for for a future first on a rebuilding team. You're not getting him off my roster for 2024-2. That's just not what I'm selling him for because he he is – uh, the number one wide receiver on this team. He was drafted somewhat highly as a third round pick. And uh, he has showed up well, or at least decently. Like he was yeah. decent in the reception perception report uh, in his second year, 1.68 yards per out run. That's not bad. Uh, but again, the PFF receiving grades are not very high. Uh, we talk about we're three years in now and uh, the first two years, he, the most he produced was 480 yards. Bad offense, obviously hindered by quarterback play, but I don't see well, him I, as a number one wide receiver. I don't think his college production profile was very good. He was late to Claire. Um, so there are obviously some warts in the college profile. He hasn't done a whole lot in the NFL to make me think he he's going to last as a number one wide receiver on a team that actually has a, a, a depth chart of capable uh, NFL starters. Uh, so I don't see the upside being crazy high for this year with a bad rookie quarterback. I don't see it being very high uh, in the future. If I can add a little bit of junk to Nico Collins and cash out for a future one, that's what I would like to do, especially on a rebuilding team. Even yeah. if I can get a, a one-two swap, if I can sell Nico Collins in the 2024-2 for a random 2024-1, I want to do that as well. 
Me too. And and to be clear, you know, I I, I like Doc New because I feel like we think pretty rationally about this. I love Nico Collins. Uh, I would absolutely be selling him plus whatever to get a first round pick just because that is the rational thing to do. What I will say is that Nico Collins' college situation was an absolute disaster at quarterback. Um, I can say that as a Michigan fan, they just had nothing there. There's a reason that all of the Michigan wide receivers have had terrible college production. And last season, Nico Collins only played 10 games. He had a 24% uh, target rate, which was Heck, Donovan Beeple-Jones got sabotaged at Michigan, too. I know. He's he's a decent NFL player now. But what is the upside upside beyond that? I, I totally you put different people Jones in Houston right now. I'm not sure we're not having the same exact same conversation. No, I, I, I actually am pretty sure about that. <laughs> I think Nico Collins is significantly better. I mean, Nico Collins target rate last year was 24%. Donovan Peoples Jones is like an 11%. I think he's, he's got playing the with lowest. Amari Cooper. Who it is, doesn't who is matter. Nico he, Collins playing with. He's what just Brandon a wind Cuff's sprinter. Cooper. I, I get it. I, I, I get it. And that I want to say that I want to limit expectations as well. But that being said, I do think Nico Collins is going to be a capable uh, flex this year, bye week type player. But if you can get anything resembling a first round pick or a guy like Devon Chain, right? Someone with upside who a guy, who a team might be uh, not as infatuated with as they were a few months ago. I'm definitely three, making plus that three. Deal. I think you should get a, a you should try and exploit the uh reactability of the week to week when we're talking about always, a guy like Nico Collins who just yeah. had a good week one versus a chain who just got a quote unquote healthy scratch week one you have to be asking for a plus yeah 100% all right we got two segments left here and i want to do them somewhat rapid fire uh this first one i want to do the underperforming qb worryometer because week one was ridiculous for these quarterbacks. Uh, basically, none of the good quarterbacks were good. It made it a tough week for my dynasty teams because I like to build around these elite quarterbacks. Uh, but we saw Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, and Joe Burrow all finished outside the top 15. They averaged 11 points between them. That is less than half of what their projections were to average this season. Literally, they were less than half. So... I know we're probably not worried about them, but let's get started. One to 10, 10 being most worried. Uh, Joe Burrow. Zero. All right. Josh Allen. Zero. Justin Fields. I know we talked about him. Seven and a half. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 we already talked about him, but it, I would probably say more like six, but that's either way. That's not great. Uh, Lamar Jackson. Zero. Deshaun Watson. Somewhere between three and four. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Dak Prescott. It's properly valued. Not worried about him. Yeah, that week one game was just ridiculous. Uh, Geno Smith. One. You're not worried at all about one hit wonder syndrome? I think he's a two hit wonder for one. I know it's only a partial sample of the first year, but he's he played fair. well That's two fair. years in a row in this system. And these weapons are too good for me to, to panic over one week. He was, he was very, very good in the past two years. Yeah. Um, Danny dimes. Five. I'm gonna go about 11 there. Uh, Kenny Pickett. 
thing with Jones is he still runs the ball and he's still going to score some fantasy points because of that. So, and he's got a contract. So I'm not worried That's, about his, I'm not worried about that. his uh, job security. I'm not really worried about his fantasy floor. Um, and I think I actually have, I actually have Daniel Jones. I think he's terrible. I think I might have one share across 90 teams, maybe yeah. none. I have um, one single share and it's because I traded Trey Lance for him early in the off season. I hated nice. it, but I, I had, I said, if my team was already bad, and I said, yeah. if Trey Lance goes belly up, I'm I'm taking a bad team and making it worse. Daniel Jones, at the very least, and I want I tried to get a plus, but it was a patrons league, so it was all my patrons who were reading yeah. my newsletter, who read my newsletter, which said trade Trey Lance or Daniel Jones, which people hated at the time, by the way. And he's like, I'm not giving you a plus. So I'm like, oh, this makes me fucking sick, but I'm gonna do it. And now I've been trying to trade Daniel Jones ever since I've been trying to just that's that was the only thesis of the play was to just lock in a guy who wasn't going to lose value who who I could try and trade later still haven't been able to trade him but I'm going to be uh after a big rushing week I'm going to be trying to do so yeah and that was actually not a bad time to trade for Daniel Jones I mentioned earlier that he was traded for I think it was a second and a third in one of my leagues obviously that's cheaper than what it'll be in a lot of cases but you're right the contract does give him a stability floor and the Russian gives him an output floor. So I, I don't mind that. He's probably more like actually a six or seven to me as well. Uh, Kenny Pickett. 25. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I was at 20 else. before the season started. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's awful. Not good. All right. This uh, last segment, I want you to rank. I'm going to give you sets of three players who are valued similarly uh, in the dynasty community. And I want you to rank the three of them, uh, by valued Similarly, it's a little bit hard to tell right now. Cause ADP is off. Keep trade cut is terrible. Twitter. Fancy, some you fancy calc, but takes, yeah. takes a few days. To update calc, as well. Exact. It takes a little Saturday while. by the time we get last Sunday's, uh, opinions yeah. reflected. So these are what I, who, who I think the community values similarly. Let's start off a quarterback. Number one, Sam Howell, Mac Jones, or Desmond Ritter. Rank those Sell, three. sell, sell. Don't want them, don't want them, don't want them. All right. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm actually curious here. Do you like to roster safer veteran quarterbacks as your QB3? Because I like because... to roster good quarterbacks who are safe. Yes, I was. I had a lot of Aaron Rodgers, like, unfortunately okay. uh so not so safe but yeah. i could get aaron Rodgers for a two i couldn't even get these terrible young guys like uh sam howell for a two like desmond ritter for two i couldn't even get them for a two and they're probably terrible probably going to be hurting me if i put them in my starting lineup. so if i'm going cheap yeah i i want the cheap veterans like i i wanted those or i was drafting a guy like brock purdy who scored a lot of fantasy points last year yeah, and Brock Purdy, one of my biggest buys after this last week. All right, we talked about this briefly, but put your name to it. Justin Fields, Richardson, and Tua. Richardson, Fields, Tua. I think I agree. Uh, I only got one running back one for you. It is Tajay Spears, Tank Bigsby, and Roshan Johnson. I don't like this one because the guy I had ranked highest in my rookie ranking is going to be my last answer. <laughs> it's probably it's the guy the I like most. Go. It's the guy I like most from the talent perspective, and he's going to be last. And it's just a reminder, kind of, that running back situation in particular matters a lot more than wide receiver situation because two and three wide receivers can coexist. If Tank Bigsby, as much as I like him, how the hell is he going to get into a starting position 
this year or next with Travis Etienne still on the roster uh, outside of an injury. It's just, there's no way it's just not going to happen. And even though I think he's probably better running back than Ty J Spears, even though I think might probably be a better running back than Rashawn Johnson. Ty J Spears has gotten out to being a starter at the end of the year. Uh, Never mind if Tennessee traded Derrick Henry at the trade deadline, Rashawn Johnson, he could be Chicago's starter by the end of the season. By, by week 10, he could be their starter. I was about to say, he could be the starter by the end of that sentence, for all we know. I, like, yeah, like, there's, it's got to be, I would say Roshan. I, I'm going to, I like, I'm coming around on Roshan, and I might do a, a full making the case for Roshan. And I think there's still a buy window because they, a lot of people are hung up on the fact that he did not play until garbage time uh, in week one. It might be still kind of uh, juxtaposing him as a, third string running back when I'm just, I don't see that lasting. I think at bare minimum, he is going to leapfrog Deontay Foreman in short notice. Uh, he, we just look at what he's done in college. One of the best tackle breakers in college. Uh, he showed up in the preseason. You look at some of the preseason highlights uh, was break. He broke a tackle, nice broken tackle in his first game in week one, where he just ran over a linebacker yeah. and, uh, and he's and getting targeted. Yeah, yeah, getting targeted, got into the end zone. So he's got workhorse size. He's got uh, receiving upside. He's got goal line upside. Khalil Herbert's very efficient running back and stands in the way to some rushing volume. But it wouldn't shock me if Roshan is the best running back on that team and, and it, it becomes evident by uh, the end of the season. So you're going Roshan, Spears, and then Tank? Yeah. I'm going to go Spears, Roshan, Tank, but uh, not a huge difference there. Uh, let's talk about three wide receivers who I think this is a great question. Calvin Ridley, Drake London, Zay Flowers. Again, this kind of gets back to removing yourself from the player takes and understanding where you're at in the market. If I'm making a trade today, I'm selling Calvin Ridley or Zay Flowers for Drake London plus. You can't put Drake London at the top of this list because you're not selling Calvin Ridley plus to go get Drake London. You're not no. selling Zay Flowers plus to go get Drake London. Drake London is at the bottom of this list right now, whether he should be or not in terms of talent, in terms of long-term uh, projection. It's, I would say, I would say Ridley because I fully believe he is like a top five, honestly, like a top six receiver the rest of the season. Don't think that's going to hold for Flowers. So I think, where that ageism is kind of making it a debate between Ridley and Flowers right now. I think you're going to see uh, that contending uh, win, uh, mindset, redraft mindset, where all of a sudden Flowers is going to kind of settle back down with a healthy Andrews, and you'll be able to trade Calvin Ridley for Zay Flowers plus. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it's a good way to think about the market as well, where some of it is based on current expectations, but you're not going to make a trade and immediately make – another trade the next day to trade away that player in most cases. So you have to think about how these players are likely to move over the next, you know, three to 15 weeks is kind of the window I like to think about. Um, Next up, Nico Collins, Rashad White, and Desmond Ritter. I'm trying to get all of these players off my teams. I don't really want to hold on to any of these guys. If I had to order them, it would be White. It's just, I'm going to order them by the way they hold market value. Who can I sell the easiest? Who can command the most? So it's probably White, Ritter, Nico. I think you're backwards there. Maybe it's Nico. I think you're getting 
I think you're getting nothing for Rashad White. In the I think you are overvaluing the market for wide receiver sixes in Dynasty versus running backs. And people are there's a lot of people who still will pay up for a starting running back where I don't see any. That's fair. That's fair. My only disagreement with that would be that how many teams in your league want a Rashad White? If three or four teams are tanking, if three or four teams are stacked at running back, there are plenty of people who still think Rashad White's good. There are plenty uh, of people who still think that. If that's the case, fair enough. I, I am I am no longer one of those people. Um, this one's a fun one. I call this the dynasty dynasty wide receiver three because I am a CD Lamb hater. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Garrett Wilson, or Chris Olave. It's obviously, I think it's obviously has to be on the run at the top when you just yeah. talk about a guy who was above like 17 points per game in healthy games last year is going to be there this year again. I like Olave, but I want to see him get to that elite production level before I'm making the leap, taking him over uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. <sighs> I really – I I don't want to give up the dream on Garrett Wilson, man. I, know. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to just sell him straight up for Chris Olave. I don't know if I'm going to do that. I think I am. I, I actually – And I'm fine. I understand the rationale completely. But I I said this on Jax Falcone's podcast. I think Garrett Wilson is the only wide receiver in the NFL who might be on a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase level talent level. And I think that highly of him as a talent level where I I struggled trading him. Like if I was going to trade, like I said, I traded him for A.J. Brown because I know A.J. Brown is going to give me like above 17 points per game. I don't know that with Chris Olave. Like if he's healthy – I, I have history with A.J. Brown production-wise. Chris Olave, I like him. I have questions about if he can be that elite alpha. I don't ever see him being in the Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase level talent uh, conversation even. so. But I'm fine yeah. with it. I'm fine making that move if you want to trade. He's a stud too. Yeah, I think I've I've been lower on Wilson than most and higher on Olave than most. Uh Another game with 10 targets, 31% target share, 130 air yards for Olave. He's had 40 or more yards in the first 16 games of his career. Only other player to do that in history was Michael Thomas. I think Chris Olave, uh, I mean, I, I have him behind Amon Ra and I have Wilson next. Again, these guys are all very close. I don't have a strong preference here, but but I would go Olave over Wilson at this point. Just because, again, if we talk about the next few months, I think Olave is going to outproduce Garrett Wilson by a lot by, you know, two to four points a game, which is a lot. So um, that that's why I'll lean Alave there. Uh, next one, Brandon IU, Quentin Johnston, and Jerry Judy. I think this question might be me being too low on uh, Brandon IU still, but what do you think here? Well, you just said the order. It's Brandon IU, it's Quentin Johnston, and it's Jerry Judy. Yep, I, uh, I agree there. Uh, this one's a fun one. Uh, Luke Musgrave, Michael Mayer, and Sam Laporta. Sam Laporta for sure, number one. <sighs> I'm I'm not trading Michael Mayer for Luke Musgrave. Sorry, just so I don't I, care that yeah. Luke Musgrave has full route participation over week one of his career, and Michael Mayer uh, has to s- split with Austin Hooper week one of his career of his rookie season. There are so many data points outside of athleticism that just say Michael Mayer is going to earn targets at a much better rate than Luke Musgrave. Albeit, I'll give Musgrave the ceiling favor just because of the athleticism. 
we really don't have any time in college other than two games in his final season where Luke Musgrave was was earning targets. And I don't think we really saw a whole lot of that at, at in the preseason. Uh, even though he's getting full route participation, it was a good target share week one, but we need to see more before I'm willing to put him over a guy like Michael Mayer, who was like the consensus tight end one in this class a year ago. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think that's a trade if if you're looking to. I think you could probably trade Musgrave for Mayer right now. I think market probably has Musgrave higher than than Michael Mayer, but I, get a three I do agree on top. with you on those rankings. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was disappointing. Like Michael Mayer only ran 10 routes. He didn't see a target. Obviously, that's not what you want to see, but I'm still going to have some, have hope for him. Again, like you said, this was week one. Um, I don't know why the Raiders aren't starting Michael Mayer. Uh, but they aren't yet. And Luke Musgrave only saw 20, uh, sorry, 17% target rate. Um, great that he's running snaps, but it, it, it wasn't anything to convince me that he's a better football player or a better prospect than Michael Mayer uh, was. Last one. This is going to be a veteran tight end market question. Darren Waller, Pat Freyermuth, and Dallas Goddard. It's still Goddard at the top. Um I think it's a little bit team dependent. Fryermuth versus Waller, like I, I, I can see myself trading either for either on on a you know situation depend. But I, I still probably would take Waller, just because I think you might. I gotta look at my rankings because I'm saying out loud. I do. I believe in Darren Waller, and I do believe he's going to still have a big season. I do believe there's probably a window where you can sell him for Fryermuth plus. Yeah. But I am also cognizant of the fact that he's one injury away from, all right, now you definitely can't get Friar Muth straight up. And then at his age, he's going to just lose dynasty value. So on a rebuild, you could say Muth straight up is uh, totally justifiable. But I'm going to go Goddard, Waller, Muth. Yeah, I'm going Goddard, Muth, Waller uh, pretty comfortably, actually. I I think the downside is just so high with Waller. I'm not sure there's upside there to the extent we think because Daniel Jones is not very good. They're gonna teams are gonna be able to hone in on Waller if they end up using him like that type of weapon. And I just don't think he's gonna stay healthy. We've been hearing a lot about his hamstring injury being one that resembles Cooper Cup, or it's more of a nerve thing than a muscle thing. I know Waller said it's no big deal. Sorry, dude. I, I just don't believe you. Um which is, which is fine. I hope he proves me wrong. I would love to see a healthy Darren Waller, but to me, he's one injury away where I don't think you could get a second round pick for him. So to me, it's the kind point, of thing where it's, again, it's, it's team dependent. If I'm a yeah. strong competing team and I'm not worried about just getting a little extra value or holding a little extra risk, like I'm not trading Darren Waller for fire moves. I'm just going to take the upside and, you know, I'm a hearty strong team. I have value. I want to win. I want to take the highest upside player. So it, it is team dependent for that one. Yeah, yeah, I get that. That's uh, that's definitely fair. By the way, I did just tweet uh, Luke Musgrave or Michael Mayer because I was interested about this. Uh, we got about a hundred votes so far. Luke Musgrave, seventy-seven percent. Yeah, you can so get a plus there. That means you at can least get... a three. I don't know if you can get a two-three swap. You should sure as heck try it. I bet even if it's twenty twenty-six. That's that's the advantage here because people aren't doing it in twenty twenty-four, but twenty twenty-six. I mean, that they might do that. So I, I love buying picks two years out, and other people hate it. And that's why I love it, because I can get the same swap that there ain't no chance I'm getting next year. So 
Uh, yeah, I love give it. Me it 20, is, 26, three, two, three it spots. Is, yeah, give me Marin the two. It is like a guaranteed annuity of like 30%. You're not getting that on any market other than the dynasty trade market. So take advantage. It is a wonderful investment. Um, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. We covered a whole lot of stuff. Uh, before you sign off, uh, you want to give us a little plug here? Yeah, you can just go to the website because we got one of those now. Oh, Guru yeah. Fan, GuruFantasyWorld.com. It's going to have uh, my entire history of every Making the Case article I've ever written so you can see all the genius things I said and all the stupid things I said, like the time I said to sell on Ross St. Brown. Uh, so that will live in history forever. But luckily, I've got them all up there so you can uh, evaluate the full history for yourself and decide whether I'm a genius or an idiot. Uh, but as well, there's going to be strategy articles on there. I've got an encyclopedia and a dictionary. There's going to be a free snippet of my dynasty ranks, which don't include the player notes and buy, sell, hold tags that you can get on Patreon. But if you want to get any of that extra stuff where you're going to get the player notes, the buy, sell, hold tags, I do a weekly newsletter every every week in season. I do a tight end report every Monday in season, going to break down basically the entire tight end position. I'm going to in my newsletter, I'm going to highlight risers, fallers, and then I'm going to put a, a big list of recommended dynasty trades at the bottom. So I think that's a very helpful tool as well. Uh, and it's very cheap. You can sign up to the newsletter tier on patreon.com uh, slash guru fancy world for just a buck a month. So it's very easy if you want to get in at the lowest level, just get a little bit of helpful information each month or each week yeah. in season. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely make sure to uh, check out all David's stuff. Follow him on Twitter at guru fantasy world uh, without the O. And uh, thank you so much for listening to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Y'all know where to find all my stuff. We'll be back early next week to recap week two. Let's hope it goes a little bit better than week one. Less injuries, less Achilles. Uh, and more DeAndre Swift. And Please. more DeAndre Swift tonight. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Thanks, guys.